0: Welcome to Never Rewrite. I'm Isaac Askew.
1: And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we are rejoined by, in our first ever two part episode, uh, by Adil Farad, Farid, sorry, uh, Mm -hmm. who is going to continue telling us about his adventures being uh, creating a digital ticketing service for the Indian Railways in the 1980s. Uh, Adil, we're going to remind our listeners where we left off.
0: All right so uh, yesterday we talked about uh, the uh, conditions the situations the geopolitical uh, challenges the limitations of the hardware the the economic state of the country so and the lack of uh, the training in the specific discipline of the computer science so uh, when this system was being designed the country was facing a lot of challenges and country was going through a lot of uh, uh, turbulence in terms of uh, its uh, positioning itself in the uh, geopolitical uh, on the geopolitical map so uh, ibm was uh, doing its business in india a lot of american companies but because of the socialist revolution in the country those companies was forced out of the country and there were a lot of uh, restrictions on import by the government, the Indian government itself and by the uh, by the American and the European uh, the, the governments. So under those circumstances, this particular ticketing system was uh, designed, developed, and implemented. It was one of its kind, very unique system, it's online transaction processing system in real time. So, the I, and goes
1: course- remind the listeners, the, especially the younger listeners, uh, when you say online, this is a network of a couple mainframes and some terminals, you know, text only terminals. This is not, there is no internet. The internet will not, the World Wide Web will not be invented for another 15 ish years. There's mm-hmm. internet, but there is no World Wide Web. There are no websites. There's email. <laughs>
0: Correct. So uh, the way the system was uh, designed and available to the common public was, yes, there were super mini, as we used to call these super mini VAX VMS systems, and all the terminals were connected to the hard wire. So basically, there were very, very long Ethernet cables on which these terminals were were sitting. And uh, yes, there was no fancy GUI environment available but we managed to have a proper form. Proper forms were there, they were not character-based. They were like proper form, there were fields. So you could see it on the screen itself and uh, we leveraged the terminal hardware capabilities through the escape sequences and highlighting the specific areas of the screen and then the cursor positioning, capturing the, uh, the terminal input. So there was a lot of programming done in terms of designing those, quote-unquote, the GUI environment. And yeah, there were a lot of validations. So it was a form-based system, online online system. So if you happen to enter in, into, the, into the reservation center, as we used to call it, you'll find just a whole lot of ticketing agents are sitting around and they are sitting in front of a terminal. Through which mm-hmm. they're entering the entering the data and the data capture was the passengers or whoever wishes to reserve a ticket they will have to fill out a physical form and over that form to the clerk the clerk will duplicate that information typing into the information uh, uh, typing the information into the system and then it will uh, create the uh, create the ticket or do the reservation so that was so- the front end
1: right and so we left off last time we had talked about how you know the the dbas had added too many users to the system and it caused a crash and a riot that required the national the indian national guard to come out and restore order just because you ran out of ram uh, and that the system went down uh we talked about how ticketing uh, was locked for 20 seconds in order to print a ticket and Mm -hmm. if it didn't print Uh, that person was out, you know, that was out of luck. And so you had a case, which is I think where we left off, where the the printer was in, was bad. And somebody had waited three days in line to get a ticket and they got there and they had filled out their form and everything was right, but the printer was bad. So they lost their ticket and then they had to wait another day in line. And you had described how heartbreaking that was. And I think we left off with that. You then went back and changed a, um the operational procedure to you know make sure that everybody tested their printer before the the ticket window opened in the morning uh, could we keep going along the lines of you know now okay so you've got the ticket windows open and if i remember stories from when we, we used to work together and you would tell me these things as soon as you gave told the ticketing agents that you they had the ability to print things before the tickets opened you immediately ran into a corruption issue, where they That quit- is
0: correct. So, uh, yes, so during our conversations with the union leaders and others, so they were constantly asking us the uh, questions around what can system track, mm-hmm. what are its capabilities in terms of the, the timing, the reporting, etc. And we didn't realize the depth of those questions after uh, you know, until much after, much much later, when we realized that um, when the system became operational, and one thing I would like to mention that the union concern was the computers or the implementation of this system is going to cost uh, the jobs for the for the booking clerks because they were under the impression that the computers were will be doing all the work and therefore there will be no need. Of uh, having these uh, human mm-hmm. r- reservation clerks, and that was uh, proved to be very, very, very wrong, because then the system became operational and it uh, brought the ease in terms of booking a, uh, a a ticket. before that people had to wait like four hours, five hours in front of the window with the first implementation of the system, when we do the when we did the time study. The queue in or and queue out. The average time was, average wait time, any individual would spend is about twenty minutes. So a person joined oh, the queue wow. or the line, and then by the time he gets the ticket, a printed ticket in his hand, that was our criteria. It was twenty minutes. We did the time study, and that was so. It was a big, big, huge success in terms of bringing in the comfort and the confidence of the people that uh, yes i can go there and i don't have to spend my entire day i can just get in and out within 20 25 minutes and as a result of that the result of that the system became very popular and then the government or indian railways ended up hiring one full shift of the operators so it was before that they were running two shifts now they started to run three shifts and they had to mm. hire additional people. So it created the jobs, it created more jobs, put it that way.
1: Interesting. And then I remember from earlier from conversation yesterday, where there simply weren't enough trains for all the people who wanted to go, which is why people were waiting in line two, three days out Mm -hmm. to book a ticket 60 days in the future. That, you know, simply reducing the line time didn't change the fact that there simply weren't enough tickets, there weren't enough trains, and there weren't enough seats.
0: That so that is correct. Computerizing
1: is correct. didn't do anything there.
0: Mm-hmm. Computerization simply eased the pain on the people. Those who wanted to travel, those who wished to travel, and they could not uh, uh, found themselves courageous enough to go out and weather this kind of chaotic situation to get the get get through the lines and fight off. Uh, to get the ticket or spend enormous amount of money to get the tickets, a lot of corruption was there, so they could not. Now the people got encouraged that hey, it is much easier. I can go there and I can simply purchase my ticket in a reasonably, you know, reasonable amount of time. So that that was that. And coming to the corruption part of it, so before the the the, the computerization of the system, so of course the tickets were. Preprinted paper tickets, and they were hogged by the the clerks and those who were offered the bribe. They will be sold on the black market. So that was <laughs> happening. But now with the computerization, there was no preprinted ticket. The ticket has to be printed by the printer. That was so. It that was the first step in reducing the corruption. Mm. However. Then, of course, the human beings are smarter than the computers. It is always a, a a race between the man and machine. So people found, okay, if that be the case, I will come in early, I will come at five o'clock, six o'clock, and I mm-hmm. will print a ticket. I will book the tickets with some fake names and IDs, and later on, you know, since system allowed certain modifications, which we started to turn off later on, like we call it, like a correction in name and age kind of things. So uh, people or the a lot of clubs started to print the uh, tickets or do the reservation before the center would open. The center would open on uh, uh, on weekdays at nine a.m. and on week uh, weekends at ten a.m. So uh, this is what started to happen, and I'm I'm really really happy even in those uh, deep layers of uh, corruptions, there were some really, really honest officers. So uh, one of the uh, officer I, I was working with, Mr. A.K. Awasti, and, and he uh, called me up and uh, in our evening meetings, we used to have daily evening meetings around four thirty five p.m. Just to go over uh, what has happened, what can we do to improve the system, what are the challenges, new functionality, et cetera. So during that meeting, he asked me uh, that uh, we have been running some uh, reports and looks like there are over 600, 700 tickets are being uh, issued before 6 a.m. What is going on? Clearly, it's a bug. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so center is not even open what's going on and of course uh, you know the report would clearly show the terminal number the person who is logged in there it's, it's identified etc so it was it was a significantly detailed detailed enough report to um, figure out what was going on there
1: when you say six seven hundred tickets if i remember earlier uh, yesterday you were saying the daily ticket number tic- daily ticket rates were somewhere in the order of four or five thousand tickets a day so this is almost almost this is over 10 percent
0: right in, in in the initial phase but then yeah. fully the system became fully functional then the the number of tickets those were issued in a day it reached like uh 40 to fifty thousand tickets oh wow yeah so it, it did reach to uh, that 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 level
1: so that's interesting so, so the the digital ticketing allowed you to do about eight or nine X, the total number of tickets sold. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that before trains would leave with empty seats that just became worthless or did the ticketing, like in the U S there's conductors on the cars. And if you don't have a ticket, he's got a book and he'll punch you out a ticket right there. That's, Is,
0: was, that's, that's what something... was happening mostly. Yeah. That's what was happening mostly. So, and and of course that was all cash. There was no credit card. Mm. There was no credit card. There was no check writing, et cetera. It was all cash dealing. And mm-hmm. cash dealing, you know how it goes. Cash dealing, it, 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 it has a lot of big openings for, for corruption. Right? There is no accountability, et cetera. So uh, with this one, when we uh, started looking at those reports, and Mr. Awasti said that, what can we do to prevent this thing from happening? And then I said, well, in the computer we have a lot of opportunities we computer can check the time it knows what time of uh, of the day it is and it can uh, prevent from uh, the transaction f- from going forward he said okay and uh, i remember that it was uh, friday evening or uh, you know friday evening so i spent the entire night writing mm. uh, Writing writing the, uh, the code. And it was very interesting name. And then one of the, and I, it was kind of funny name too, because one of my uh, hardware colleagues came around because we used to go for dinner together. And he said, okay, mm-hmm. What are you doing? I said, You know, I had a meeting with Mr. Avasti, so I'm not going home to, by the way, we were all young that time, you know, all the engineers, uh, unmarried, and most of us were living with our parents. So we didn't have, and there, there was really not much to do outside. So we used to spend nearly 16, 17, sometimes even days on site itself. We would not go home. We would not even go home. We would just stay on the site. We were given given the room, and then we were given the uh, the perks in terms of you can go out for, for free free breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we were just there, just working.
1: Some things never change, young engineers. The original hackathon. (laughs) Uh, And and I should point out here that you're talking about, uh, so the the system only ran when the tickets windows were open, which you said was like nine to five or 10 to five, depending upon the day. Hmm? And so you're now pulling an an all-nighter. And it's not that you don't, you don't even have enough computers to have a second environment. So you are hacking all night on a Friday night in production.
0: That is correct, Yes that was correct so we were all the even all the development work so all the you know as we were writing the code all mm-hmm. the compilation would be happening on the same system as the production boxes there was no no second environment and <laughs> the same and there were like uh, eight developers uh, on my team mm-hmm. and there were other uh, the operational staff, the database maintainer, the report generator, the chart generator—everything was happening on the same super mini computer within that small amount of RAM. So uh, that was, and then uh, I have to give credit to the deck engineers too—that you know they wrote the VMS that that was really robust. Right? It did survive that kind of. Uh, utilization that kind of usage hmm. so uh, really good hardware
1: so i distracted you so you spent all night you you wrote up this funny named thing
0: yes so it was, uh, the name was uh okay so uh, all the you know the, the processes would come up and then i would call it i said you know uh, what should i call it so there was the functionality of uh, you know the process hibernation process hibernation. So if the process is in hyper, So remember that we still have to boot the, it was a, basically the way it was architected was there may be like 100 users, but mm-hmm. all 100 users are sharing exactly the same process address space. Remember, we don't have much memory through the, it's called global maps mm-hmm. in uh, VMS uh, uh, jargon. Uh, So it was all loaded So the MCP, the master control program is simply loaded in memory. And all of these child, there was like like separate process for each user. Each user will be having a slice or a time slice into that master control uh, process. So there was Hmm. only one process. So still we had to uh, bring up that process. We had to load all the train data, all the route data, all the Availability ticket, you know the 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 uh, the car data, the car routes data. So all this static data needs to be loaded, and of course, you know, some of the data was dynamic, uh, but some of the a lot of data was static. So we just would map it in a specific chunk of or dedicated uh, chunk of memory, and all of these uh, the logins will be simply sharing all that information. That's how we managed it. So it was not like everybody is having a private copy of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the hibernation was a concept that you can put a process into a hibernation state. The process will be up, loaded in memory, but it will not be allowed to run if the process is hibernating. It will not be allowed to run. It is like suspending a process, put it that way. Okay. So uh, uh, so I wrote that uh, uh, routine called uh, UT. all the utility functions were named with uh, the letters UT so UT hybrid till eight or nine depending upon whether it is Sunday or not. So that was the that was the name of the Fortran subroutine and then that became the longest name, mm-hmm. longest name in the system. So uh, yes, so that that's how uh, we started to uh, control the tickets from being issued before the system opens. But that presented a, a smaller challenge. And, and in fact, you know, when I was writing that code, my uh, hardware buddy, and he said that, okay, you're writing this thing, what is the what is the use? I said the use is, of course, we are going to reduce the corruption and it is going to uh, create a uh, level field for everybody to get their uh, their fair right to have a ticket. Uh, and it will, of course, uh, eliminate uh, a lot of bribery. Then he said that, okay, you know, what are you talking about? So he started to be a little bit more aggressive. He said, what are you talking about? You know that such and such and such and such person, they are working with these ticket clerks so there it is he was talking about the insider corruption mm. so there were some individuals the inside said like look at these you know I have myself you know because hardware and software we used to go on a round we used to take a round mm-hmm. just to check how the system is running if anybody needs any help you know like like that so he said that many a times when I was uh, on the round this this guy he was talking to the uh, the black cell you know black market uh, uh, sellers, and then he was facilitating the this kind of uh, things. So I said regardless, now mm. I'm actually limiting even his ability even his ability to go through this route because he's not nobody will be able to print the ticket at uh, 6 a.m. And when we open the uh, system uh, say at uh, 9 a.m. sharp mm-hmm. how many tickets maximum we are going to lose? Think about that even if you assume that all the clerks are corrupt, so we have about <laughs> then we had that time 90. So maximum, we are limiting our loss to 90, that everybody is like prepared before they can center open. And so they can have only one ticket, only one ticket illegally, right? You know, when the mm-hmm. system, system opens. So at the opening, it is a fair game for everybody, right? So, uh, so we are limiting, of course, we are not eliminating it, but we are reducing the amount of corruption. And that's, that's what happened. I said, human beings will always find to go around the system mm-hmm. and then, you know, so, uh, and we cannot help. So we are doing our best effort to just limit this uh, uh, kind of practices. And I said, I really don't care whether in, in the database, you know, in, in the area if that guy's corrupt. I'm working with Mr. Avasti and we have full support. He's the top guy. He's the top guy, and I'm sure he's aware of what's happening around him, but his hands are tied too. He can do only so much to limit the corruption. But I'm happy that he's supporting us. That's the reason I'm, I didn't go home today. I'm right I'm here writing the code, and then I'll be uh, able to implement. And then once we implement it, we uh, do the little bit of testing, verification, and then we off to off to uh, uh, the production rollout. There was no separate QA. We were the developers, we were the QA, we were the verifiers.
1: And, and what happened when that system went out? Because I assume, you know, well, I don't so But you didn't have product notices and whatnot. It just, the system worked differently the next day. So did the, was there screaming and yelling from the clerks?
0: Oh, yes, yes. yeah. A lot of a lot of uh, clerks, they started to call, the, we used to call the console room. Mm-hmm. So the console room uh, phone started to buzz like, hey, what happened? I'm not able to log in. And of course, they were told that time that, uh, yes, this is the expected behavior and you won't be able to uh, proceed until you'll be able to log on, but you won't be able to do anything until uh, 9 a.m. or 10, if it is Sunday. So, yeah, that that time they were told.
1: Did you get any physical threats? Because I imagine in the U.S. you you would, just in my head stories like this often and then a mobster shows up and threatens to break your legs if you don't undo the fix
0: that, that <laughs> happened only once and not the physical threat but uh, a different kind of threat uh, what was happening was when the uh, phase two was rolled out so mm-hmm. phase one was all terminals right and then we had the uh, the reservation cancellation a little bit of modifications and the inquiry module. Inquiry module was very, very buggy. And so I spent a lot of time on the inquiry module basically to check the availability, the status. What is this status? How many tickets are available in real time? Mm. So once uh, that, because that was really, really crucial because that in my view was going to provide the transparency, the accuracy of the the, the state of the system. And once we implemented that a year uh, and it was fully operational, working very, very precise and accurately, we implemented another system and that was through other, and of course that time we didn't overload the CPU, the, the main CPUs, mm-hmm. but we brought in the 386 boxes, 386 boxes running an operating system called Minix. I don't know if you have heard that one say.
1: Yeah, I think Minix was the thing that, they were playing with that, eventually became Linux. Linux. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, because we brought in there, and then we started to uh, we uh, we uh, crafted a system and attached a TV monitor. So now a real monitor in which the the data can be entered for the ticketing mm-hmm. is now facing the clerk, but still the there was a level of corruption that what screen was showing was different from what the lips were. Saying ah. the screen may show the availability but the clerk is still telling that it's a wait list mm. right or it may be the clerk knows that there are you know three trains are leaving for this destination, one train is full so they will purposefully just enter the one which is full and it will say that oh it is it is showing a wait list, knowing that the other train has uh, the availability, right so yeah. With the second level, when we put the this this um, Unix uh, machines and have the TV monitors attached to it, that was facing the customers. Now, what clerk is typing is visible to the customers. The people were able to see, so that brought in. A little bit more transparency, so the clerk cannot enter a different train number. Immediately, passenger would question, "Hey, you didn't enter that one." If that be the case, you you just check the the alternative uh, availability. So this is what this was another level of reducing the, the the corruption.
1: I love it. And this this is the one where mobsters came and threatened you, or
0: no? Then no. that <laughs> was another. Uh, <laughs> just give me a second. <laughs>
1: I, I I love this. This is the you know the iterative, just bringing visibility into the system and the the sunshine you know produces the effect of of reduce because people don't want to be taken advantage of, and so mm-hmm. the, by removing the power of the knowledge of the, of control of mm-hmm. the knowledge you, without you know bring you don't need to bring bring police into this to tell the the ticketing agents not to be corrupt. It's just. If if people see the ticketing agents are being corrupt with them, mm-hmm. then they're able to fight back themselves.
0: Correct. The transparency uh, uh, allows uh, uh, us to reduce the corruption, right? The monitoring, the, the transparency is important. So what happened was when the system grew and then we expanded beyond one location. Now people had to come to Bombay, Mumbai in a physical center where they had to uh, book their tickets. Mm -hmm. But people are coming from long distance. So we started expanding that by extending the physical communication lines to a different, you know, 15 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles into that one. So we create started to create, we call the uh, satellite locations. I mean, Mm -hmm. we had a definition, it's a remote location and satellite location. We had a specific definition. Satellite location will basically fall into the near. By vicinity of the main center, and it would not involve a day-night flip when the train traverses through that that that, that loca- location. Mm. There should not be any day-night flip. If a distance is such that the day boundary changes, then we would call that as a remote location. Remote location. For instance, uh, and um, there was another uh a term we used to the pure location for example bombay was a center because indian railway it has many branches the central branch the southern branch the northern the northern region so it was divided into regions mm-hmm. so the hyderabad was part of the central region bombay was part of central region madras was so these were all independent systems now these were all same software but independent uh, uh, systems they would have their own database they would have their own uh, terminal setup, they have own everything was like independent of each other's so regional basis. Mm-hmm. In the phase uh, two, we started to expand our satellite location, basically physically extending the communication lines and just setting up the terminals. There is no computers on there. They're still talking to the mainframe superminis sitting at the Mumbai location. So that was still the case. And then the Third phase came in whereby we had to connect a distant location that we call remote, where the possibility of day and night change. So Ahmedabad was one such location and we started to bring in more uh, networking hardware. At that time I started to learn a lot about the mesh network, uh, MUXs and switches, etc. And there was a political reason why Ahmedabad was pushed to To that um, particular uh, choice, that why we have to implement. So there was a lot of the railway ministry was involved, home ministry Mm. was involved. So it was up in the ministry, and there was a competing location called Pune, which was nearby, and it was. I mean, Pune is. It is called the university town, just like Boston. A lot of universities, a lot of, uh, and it's a. you know, a lot of defense facilities are there. So politically, it had some cloud, but not enough to compete with uh, with the Ahmedabad location. And Pune was much easier to implement because we had to just pull the, in, in terms of the software, because we didn't have to write the customization or the specific logic for the day-night uh, flip because the reservation logic was very, very complex. Remember, especially when we crossed the day boundary,
1: Right, because the trains, some of them would turn into sleeper cars, which meant that seats would disappear, so you couldn't sell seats that needed to be overnight.
0: Overnight, yes. So knowing these facts, one day I was called by somebody in his office that on Saturday morning. He said that, you know, come on, come on, come on, have a seat. Then he offered the cookies and tea and said that, uh, what do you think, how difficult would it be to implement uh, this system in Pune?" I said Pune uh, is uh, very easy. That time we were already in full swing in terms of development for Ahmedabad. That mm-hmm. so his guy he wanted to push Pune first so that he gets significant significant chunk of funding. And then of course <laughs> I have mentioned that funding comes this much, and by the time it starts to come to implementation, it it starts to shrink because the layers are taken off as <laughs> it moves moves down from department to department and person to person. Mm-hmm. So uh, I said Pune is uh, relatively easier. All we have to do is uh, just pull the communication links and then we can uh, set up the terminal. And then um, I got the call from my head office saying that uh, we heard that you made a commitment to implement Pune before Ahmedabad. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, now you you know you you know we we have an internal meeting for that one. So I was there, like, you know, why did you uh, I said, I did not commit. I was asked a question, like how easy it is, And I said, it's easy enough. Just we have to pull the. Why do we have to give that kind of idea? Why do we even say that it's easy? It is not. And that that became a very, very, very uh, a challenging thing. and I was I never faced this kind of situation just out of college living with my parents. and, you know, getting into that situation, and then uh, it it you know you you could imagine how big of a deal that was, because uh, the you know the somebody's political future was uh, relying upon that aspect of the system. If the Pune goes before Ahmedabad, then of course somebody else will be not only getting the whole chunk, lot of chunk of money, but also the the political a lot of political gain. So mm. it a lot of things were at stake, like what goes first, right? What what goes first? So and then, of course, the politics in India is, is not uh, free of violence. So people do resort to a lot. It's not just small, a lot of violence, even at the smaller level. So it, it was, and this particular thing was uh, connected with with really the, the, the big shots uh, of the time. So uh, yes, it was I, I was really shaking inside out. I said, okay, oh my mm-hmm. God, what have I gotten into? So and of course, not just me, my mm-hmm. my team, my managers, my company, and a lot of people were, you know, of course, the pressure was coming from all all, all the directions. So it was a bit of a challenge.
1: Yeah, the proverbial padding your estimates, this does... <laughs> it all it's all so much more intense. Than than these days, where I, I could I have I have walked into a similar trap uh, about timing and what goes first. But the certainly there were no stakes, <laughs> nobody's careers were on the line, and mm-hmm. there was no fear of violence. Oh. Should should I have stuck? You know, should I have put my foot in it and ruined somebody's day? Um, I feel like we could keep going on forever because I know from our past history that we've done some, you've got so many amazing stories, but I think we should uh, cut it off here and maybe bring you back another time if if people love the stories as much as I do. Uh, Because I, To me, and I was telling Isaac before the show, working with you uh, was one of the things that showed me how to be empathetic as a developer. And if people take anything away from the series, it's or i would love for them to take away the idea that look you're you're going to write code and the code is the code but your code has impact on people in the real world you can make their lives better you can make their lives worse mm-hmm. right you can bring you can you could have coded in corruption right you could have probably made yourself i don't know fabulously wealthy but you could have certainly for somebody who was unmarried and living at home made it easier to print tickets and gotten yourself a kickback for it uh and, and put a lot of money in your own pocket And so those are the pressures that I hope we bring to the fore with this series about just, you know, our work matters beyond the bits and the code.
0: Imagine the situation that somebody is in, uh, has come to Mumbai or or some big city for work and uh, his ailing parents are somewhere uh, in a distant remote village. Right. And this poor guy does not have uh, any means, other means to travel to, uh, to, to see his his father or mother taking the last breath, right? You know, mm-hmm. on the, on the deathbed. And imagine if he's unable to get the ticket in time. So how big of an impact it could make on a life. If somebody is an elderly person, for example. And if he or she has to come and stand in the line for hours and hours, it is taking a toll on the health, right? Breaking right. the mm-hmm. back, unable to unable to stand. And it could, I mean, we cannot really understand the true depth and true, uh, you know, deep impact it could have, but facilitating that like 20 minutes in and out, you're making the things easy. Plus... Uh, if you are standing there, if you're frustrated, if you have other things to do, then it, it, you you could become angry and that anger and frustration could be taken out on the person next to you and a lot of fights could break out and the fights could erupt into violent fights too. People could lose, lose, uh, lose lives in there or could get really seriously hurt, but facilitating these things you are eliminating that kind of frustration, that kind of stress on, on on your head right So you're not just writing the code. if you write the code with the purpose to serve the humanity, how you make how you can make the things easy upon people, then uh, of course uh, yes, you are getting paid for your efforts, but there are a lot of tangibles repayment because what you pour in will eventually turn around and come back to back to you. Because this is what I was thinking when I was looking at the people standing in the line. I imagine my father said, oh, this is what was happening. He was Mm -hmm. going to get the ticket. And then then that was the reason uh, why we could not travel as a family a lot of time. When the thing started to open up, no, we could travel uh, as a family to the nearby location. We could have a family vacation. Before that, it was nearly impossible so when you have a family vacation get together it actually is good for your your uh, social well being good for your health it it reduces the stress it uh, enhances your relationship with your with your parents with your siblings so writing the code is one thing but you could imagine the social impact the physical mm-hmm. impact the health wise impact and reducing the corruption etc you could you could imagine how big of an impact uh, you know your lines of code could bring. Mm-hmm. So writing the code with a purpose.
1: Yes. Uh, so thank you so much. So if people wanted to reach out and get in touch with you, uh, what would be the best way for them to find you?
0: So you can share my phone number, which you already have, or you can they can reach out to me uh, using my email. So. Okay, so uh, they-
1: and you're also on LinkedIn. I should throw I'm out. I'm also that.
0: on LinkedIn. Yes, absolutely. Yes.
1: Awesome. All right, we'll put the LinkedIn and the show notes. That way people can find you.
0: Okay. Yeah, that'll be great. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been one of my favorite shows. Uh, so thank you. Uh, I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite.